Father, we praise you for the reality that you uh, that you will return, Father. This song is, uh, you know, taken, Father, from uh, from Matthew 24, just this reality that you will come again and you say to watch and to wait. Father, we want to be a people who live in faithfulness to you, God, every day of our life, who give ourselves to no other lovers, but live our life devoted to you because you're worth it, that you're worth waiting for. Father, we ask this morning that, uh, that you would awaken this hunger in us, that you'd awaken this vision inside of us, Jesus, that we would be only satisfied by you. Father, for many of us, that, that idea or, is just foreign. This doesn't make any sense. It's not like computing with what we've known. And so, Father, for those who are walking in ignorance this morning to what's available to them, I pray that you would surprise them by meeting them in such a way they would have no idea what's going on. And we would simply say, well, it's just the spirit of Jesus moving in you. It's the reality of his presence. But Lord, I pray that you would come and and in a beautiful way, surprise them this morning with the reality of your presence. That, God, they would no longer with a walk in ignorance, but they would walk now in knowledge of the living, breathing, active, moving God who came as a man, Jesus, so that we could walk intimately with you the rest of the days of our lives. Father, we praise you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Very good. Hey, are there any... Um, so let me get those who are, um, who are going off to college, whether you're or just going to college, starting for the first time, or actually, who cares? You're just going to college in general. You've been at home this summer, now you're going to college. If that's you, come forward to the front, please. We want to haze you. Come on down. How many of you are going to God's school, University of Georgia? Any of y'all? There you go. Fantastic. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, turn around. Look at me real quick. Um, all the way around. You don't have to, like, literally sit Indian style. Turn around. But, hey, we love you guys. And I'm uh, going to miss you. Look at me, Nathan. I'm talking to you. Uh, miss you all terribly. And I know some of you will still be around, and so for that we're grateful. Uh, but for those who are going off and won't be back except for holidays and, and special days, we will miss you all and be glad when you all come back. And we will commit to pray for you all. And anything that you all need from us, you all let us know, okay? And uh, that would be great. So let's get this. Those of you who um, like to come around, I'm just going to take some time and pray for them. Uh, that's you. Go ahead and parents and friends or just people who have a heart for college students right now, stand up, make your way down. Uh, the idea is this, you know, many of us, um, <clears throat> some of us remember our college experiences. Some of you probably don't. And, uh, and that's why we need to pray for them. <laughs> um, because the reality is when we think about uh, students going to college, that this is a time of, uh, of independence, a time of uh, stretching out your your wings to fly for the first time. And a lot of you know there's a lot of independence that comes with that. And so a lot of us have stories that we tell and stories we wish we didn't have to tell and stories we've never told uh, from our college experience. And, and we laugh about it now, but if we, we think all the time saying, God made our kids not walk through that. And I've come to this real conviction lately uh, about the power of, 
of praying. And a Stormy Omarsh wrote a book called The Power of Praying Parents. And then she, and then she wrote a book called Power of Praying Wife. And she wrote all these Power of Praying People. Uh, but they really are true. And I've come to this realization. A lot of times we, we send our kids off with this defeatist mentality of like, oh, Lord, may they not, may they not stumble. Help them. Instead of saying, God, we come now and we fight for our children. God, we fight for their lives. We fight for their calling. And so a lot of times we live in fear of what's going to happen when they come back rather than living in hope of the missionaries that God is making them to be on their college campuses. And so college students, you have to recognize whether you know it or not or even like it. God has called you uh, from here to go be missionaries to be Jesus wherever you go. You have a calling on your life. You don't just go to class and see how fast you can get out. God's called you to give your life away to those that you're around. Will it be difficult? Transitions always are. You don't have someone to make your bed and to wash your clothes and to make dinner for you, right? You don't have someone to wake you up. There's going to be that moment you're going to wake up and go, I don't have to wake up. There's no one here to make me wake up, right? And so wake up. But all these moments, and you have, a, you have a calling in this time. You have a destiny that God has for you. Your destiny, number one, is to enjoy yourself. To just have a great time. Enjoy God. But number two, you have a calling to be Jesus wherever you go. You have, a, you, have a, a, um, you have roots that have been planted here at Vintage. They're holy roots. They're, we've invested into you all. And we're sending you out just like we would send out Justin to Scotland a few months ago, excuse me, last week, a couple weeks ago. And this is you sent us as missionaries to Costa Rica and to India. We're sending you out. You have a calling. And we're here for you all. Whatever you need, call me whenever, as long as it's you know, between like 9 in the morning. I'm just kidding. You can call me anytime you want to. I know college students roll. You call like 1 o'clock in the morning. Stu- parents, for your freshmen, be sure your kids are going to call you like 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. Just be ready, ready for that. So, but anyway, I want to pray for you all. So, parents, I'm gonna, and, and then friends, as I, so as I say go, I want to release y'all, those in the congregation. Y'all just begin praying for our college students, that God would do in them what he wants to do, that he would guard them, and that he would protect them. We know he's going to fight for them. So just pray that over them, and, uh, and then I will close this in about a minute, and uh, then you can sit down. So when Marcus set, go. Spirit, we ask you to descend upon your students here, God. We ask for a filling of your, your spirit that's flowing in a way they've never known before, God. Overwhelm them with your presence, God, that they, they feel ready and prepared by knowing you, Jesus, by the relationship with you. And I pray that you would draw them near to you in this, this morning to know you in a way they never have before. So that, God, they walk in the confidence of knowing that you're walking with them, that they're never alone, Father, that you've never turned your back on them, you've never forsaken them. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, come, do this thing. This is your, Jesus told us very clearly, Holy Spirit, that your job was to come and to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and to remind us of everything that Jesus spoke. And so I pray that you would come and draw near to them, to speak to them, to speak life into them, uh, to help them to, to, to make the right decisions and to know your will and to keep in step with your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that I just thank you. In Galatians 5, you said you've given us a spirit that we would not have to no longer to be to uh, give in to the urges of our selfish nature, but to keep in step and to walk in your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we say yes to you in this. We say more of you, Jesus. Father, we long for you, for them. And God, we praise you that you guard them. We praise you that you protect them. We praise you that you speak into them every day. We praise you that your, your mercies will be new every morning as they walk in you, God. I pray, God, that they would have great clarity in their soul and spirit. 
between the, 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 the paths that you have, God, the path that you have for them versus the path the enemy is wooing them down. Father, give them ears to hear you more clearly than ever have before, Jesus. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Very good. All right. All right, very good. Well, uh, while people are getting seated, if you don't mind, those of you who were seated on the end of your row and hopefully the basket made, it way, made its way down to you, take that and pass it back down for our tithes and offerings. Uh, that'd be great. If you fill out a Connect card for your first time here, thank you, Phyllis. This is the time you put that card into the basket. And uh, just so you know, I'm Steve Hambrick, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you were here. And hopefully get a chance to know you. If you um, put your email on that, I'll shoot you an email this week just to connect to, with you and say hey and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be good. Um, <clears throat> just kind of giving you a heads up. Um, you know, Vintage is at a... Uh, I'm going to move this to me because I know you want to see me so bad. So I'm going to move that so you can see me, bro. You're welcome, man. I'm here for you. Um, make sure I got my eye on you, brother. Um, no, we uh, at Vintage, I you know, told you last week that financially we're at a good place. We're in the, we're in the black. Uh, that's a good thing. And um, I had to ask somebody last week at 9 o'clock. I said, red's bad, right? And black's good. They're like, yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, we're, in, we're in, the, in the black, and God's doing great things here at Vintage, and financially we're at a great place. And uh, so thank you for your faithfulness, and, and I know I told you last week, thank you. And, and again, this week, uh, I'm just thankful for the Lord's doing here in our midst. Now, I want to say to you, just in, just in a heads up, I'm going to ask you just to pray with us as we take next steps. We're at a place at Vintage where we've reached a size where, honestly, it's just not healthy for the one staff member that we have, this guy, to be here by himself, right, doing stuff. And so we're in a stage of talking through and praying through and looking financially. Where are we? What's going on financially? Uh, because we need to bring other people in. And, uh, and so with that... Um, we're doing well financially. We recognize that as we continue to move forward, we're going to need an increase financially. Just God to, to continue to provide for our needs that we have. And, and so all I'm asking this morning is simply just to pray. Um, when, I was, uh, when I went away back in November for a few days, the Lord spoke very clearly and said, Steve, you're going to have to, for, the, for these new staff positions, specifically looking for a partner in ministry for me, you're going to have to pray it into existence, basically, which meant the pray the person here and pray the finances in. And so, again, you know me. For those of you who are new, you don't know me. But for those of you who, who have been here, you know I'm not one of those guys that manipulates and makes you feel bad and twists and says, you better give to me or else, whatever. I just want to say, listen, I'm, I, I've been probably the hardest time of ministry in the last five or six weeks. And I just want to say, just come alongside and pray with me that God would help us take the next step we need to financially and with staffing. Uh, for we're looking for children, admin, uh, youth, ultimately worship, and then a partner in ministry. That's five positions. I don't know how God wants to fulfill those, and he will bring those people. But I'm simply just asking you to come alongside, pray with me, and if God calls you to be obedient in any way, whether it's with your personal time or your energies or your resources, simply to be obedient with those, Okay. That's all I'm asking you to do, so to pray and just be obedient to see there's ways that you can help us uh, with that. And uh, so with that, that's all I'm asking. Just pray with us. 
And uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a little more to share with you specifically about direction, what we're looking to do, all that kind of stuff. So but with that, all I need you all to do is pray with me. Can you all do that with me? All right, fantastic. Do you feel manipulated by me? Like, are you going to leave my, are you going to leave the church now? All right. Hope not. If so, then sorry. All right. What we're going to do this morning is this. Like we've been saying, we're in a season of transition. And you know, I talked about this season that I'm in at Vintage. It's been a massive learning curve for me. And it's, a, it's been a difficult, yet yeah, wonderful time. I, kind of the saying, it's been the best of times. It's been the worst of times, right? All the people who have, you know, Tate and Ashley have left. And there's just great stuff going on, but it's a difficult season at Vintage. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks about transition. We've been in a season of transition, the season that, that it's just a, a difficult time. We're overwhelmed. We're anxious. All this kind of stuff. There, some of us are filled with worry. And as I know as I've named this transition language, I've, it's been funny because I recognize you all come up to you going, oh, my gosh, that was so for me. And I always laugh because it's like the 30th person, literally in the last two weeks, I've had 30 or 40 people say, man, that message was just for me. And you shoot me emails. Oh, my gosh, that was so great. You know, and, and it's, it's true. I, I recognize a lot of us are transitioning. Our college students who had just came up here. I mean, massive transition, leaving home and going to school and leaving high school and going to college or especially the, the freshmen. It's just a massive transition. And so we've been looking the last couple of weeks of what do you do? How do you engage that? And last week we looked at the life of, of Jeremiah, and he spoke to the Israelites who were in captivity. And he said, hey, listen, I, I know you're in this massive transition. You've, you're, living literally in a, in a, you're living a life of hell and that you've gone from freedom to slavery. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to plant, I want you to, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to, to plant gardens and eat from them. And I want you to seek the prosperity of the very enemy who took you into captivity because as they prosper, so too you shall prosper. And the word was very clear, super simple. Hey, I know that you're looking backwards to how great it was back here, and I know you're hoping and believing for the future, which it will come according to Jeremiah 29, 11, right? But the context before that was simple. You have to live life today to its fullest by giving yourself away by blessing others. That was the message of last week, right? You have to live life fully today. It's so hard. Yes, it is, but live life today. Because when you live life today and you give yourself today, you'll find God moving in your moment. That's what we said last week. As you do this, as you, as you live your life in the moment, even when it's difficult, you find that God is there with you. He is speaking in the moment. And he's simply saying, listen, I want you to live to the fullest today. And so we find ourselves in this transition at Vintage, and you find yourself in transition. And I know what you're, and what you're, hearing, what you're hearing here is simply this. You, you may be moving forward in the future, a great breakthrough, but you're here right now. And so live life to the fullest in this moment. That was God's prophetic statement to the Israelites. And he says, listen, you do this. Do this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But you have to live in the context of right now. And that was the, this was the hope out here. But he says you have to live life today. And so we're in our, we find ourselves in a transition moment. We're in this place here at Vintage. It's not easy. It is difficult. But God is moving in the moment. So what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to look at the life of a, a man from the Old Testament named Asap. A-S-A. P-H. How many of you know the life story of ASAP? 
fantastic. I get to introduce you to my new friend, Asap, okay? It looks like Asaph, but in Hebrew it's Asap. Everybody say Asap. Very fantastic. All right, you're Bible scholars now. All right. So Asap lived from 1020 B.C. to 920 C. That B.C. That means before Christ, okay? So it's the Old Testament. This is like, this is an old dude, all right? So Asap's living his life in 10, 10, excuse me, in 1020 is born. But about 1000 B.C., He's the, he's the son of one of the chief priests in the temple, in the tent of meeting, while David, everybody's heard of David, right? David and Goliath, right? Slingshot guy, right? David is the king at this time, okay? And David's here doing his thing. And he looks over and he sees Asaph. Oh, Asaph. Not Asaph. Asaph, right? Yeah. Hey, I see that you know what you're doing with music. And I need someone to come be the chief priest of the Ark of the Covenants, the Ark of the Covenant, the one that is the presence of God, that when it's here, it means God is present. Yes, that one. I want you to come be the chief priest over this and to be the primary main music director in the tent of meeting. Are you serious? Yes, ASAP. I'm dead serious. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing, right? And so ASAP comes in and begins to do his thing. He becomes the, the, chief, the chief priest of the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant. He comes in. He's a music director, which means this. You know, when David was young and he would sit there with his harp when he had plenty of time, he would write songs and put music to them. But he reached a point because he was so busy as king, he didn't have time to really put music to his words anymore. So he would sit there and write something. And he would, guess what he would do? Hey, ASAP. Yeah, man. David. Sorry, king. Hey, will you put music... To my psalm, perfect, love to. So he and David sit down and have an intimate conversation. And they sit there and they work through and talk through what's going on with the song. It's fantastic, right? So what you see with Asaph is this. Number one, he gets to be in the presence of the living God as a priest of the Ark of the Covenant. That's a pretty cool gig right there, okay? The second gig he has over here is hanging out with the the king. Now listen, David might be the greatest king who ever lived. Scripture tells us David was a man after God's own heart, right? Saul killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands in war. He's just this incredible guy. David is a, a Messiah figure in the Old Testament. right? Let's see him, kind of this Messiah Christ figure. So David is an amazing king, and they're in Israel at an amazing time of history. This is basically the golden age of Israel. Everything's basically downhill from here. They have a few good moments here with Hezekiah and Josiah kings, right? But for the most part, it's not very good. But here with David, it's pretty fantastic. And Asap gets to be intimate with the king, writing songs for him and music with it, as he hangs out with the presence of the living God. This is like the pinnacle of all pinnacles of a job, right? I mean, he gets to hang out with the king and hang out the living God. This is fantastic. It doesn't get any better. If you were trying to climb a ladder of success, ASAP has defined it for all of Israel. The long story short, ASAP is in a good place, right? He's in a good place. And so he's living life. Things are going well. And then this massive transition happens. David gets old. And how many of you know when you get really, really old, you die? So David recognizes, I'm getting really old. I've got to set a new king. 
I definitely can't use Absalom because he basically just tried to undergird me and kill me. So instead, I'll probably use my other son, Solomon. That's probably a better choice. Just saying, right? Don't choose the guy who tries to overthrow your government. Use the other guy. So they use the other guy. Who is this other guy? It's Solomon. So Solomon comes along and David says about him, hey, Solomon will be the one who rebuilds the kingdom and the kingdom of God will come through Solomon. David says about Solomon, hey, I'm here. This is the golden age. It's going to be the platinum age under my son Solomon. This is going to be the best of the best. He's like using Messiah Christ language that you would use about Jesus, right? He's going to rebuild the temple and the kingdom of God's going to come through Solomon. And everybody's going, oh my gosh, this is great. And so Asap is a front row to everything and has watched Solomon grow from a little kid all the way says, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit concerned because I love David so much and it's been so good. But David says this, and I believe him, I trust him, it's going to be good with Solomon. So fantastic. So Solomon comes in to rule. What happens? Very first, you know, very beginning of his reign, a couple of great things happen. Number one, he says, yes, I'm going to rebuild the temple. Everybody goes, yay, right? And so in this whole expression, you've got God coming twice to Solomon is speaking to him face to face, which Asaph's going, hey, that's a good thing. If God's speaking to somebody, that's a good thing for everybody, right? God's speaking to the king. The king's hearing him and relaying the message. This is a good thing. That's like check number two. Good things happening here with Solomon. Third thing happens and comes in over here, and you've got, uh, what is it, building the temple. He's sitting there having a conversation. And then he has this moment with God, and he says, God says, what do you want, Solomon. Solomon thinks, he goes, hmm, the greatest thing that I need as king is wisdom. And Asap goes, ding, 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 this is a good king. He knows not to ask for money, power, wealth, or women. He's coming sitting here asking, I want wisdom so that I can reign well. Check mark, this is good. So good, in fact, that when, by the time Solomon dies, the, the kingdom has been divided into two kingdoms. They're now in Samaria and Jerusalem, and everything has gone to hell. And ultimately in time, what happens after Solomon's reign is ten tribes out of the twelve are completely lost forever, and then there are only two left. Long story short, Solomon messed up in a very royal way. Royal way, get that little pun intended there. Anyway, massive royal way, right? Completely just messed up, right? And so Asaph is in the moment thinking, everything's so great. Solomon comes to power. It's even platinum. It's better. Then all of a sudden he finds in time, Solomon starts intermarrying, thinking this is really great. And what happens? He begins to worship other gods. Check mark, X out, right? He says, I got a great plan. Best way to do all this stuff I want to get done is to enslave my own people. Oh, that's not good. That's a little, that's a little X right there, right? Don't want to enslave. I, I would, how bad if I started came here, came here one day and said, hey, I want to enslave you. You're not my slaves, right? That's not so good, right? Not so good. Other thing you got going on, he's sitting over here and he's just completely, completely missing it, giving himself over to power and luxury and wealth, all this kind of stuff. And Solomon, he, he wrote some good stuff, right? We, we celebrate the Song of Songs. We wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. It's all great stuff and all. But ultimately, Solomon's life, was a complete wreck, such that the entire kingdom was divided. Asap, being the chief priest, both in the tent of meeting and now in the temple of Solomon, 
gets to be there front row and watch everything just go to hell. And in this, we find what is going on in ASAP. Because talk about a transition. doesn't get any worse than this, does it? Massive transition from point A to point B. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And we learn that what's, what's going on in ASAP, he's still the chief priest. What does this look like? I'm going to say this, and we're going to look at this here in a second. Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, we find ASAP having written a psalm. And in this psalm, it's a, a, very, exposing, a very exposing psalm about, about who he is, what he's going through in this moment of, of transition, this moment of tension. And what we find is there are five things that I believe become these benchmarks. And there's lots more you can pull out of it. I just pulled five of these. Five benchmarks of things that I believe that ASAP learned in the moment that went with him the rest of, the li- rest of his life. So that when he got to this unbelievably terrible, horrendous transition moment, he had a foundation to stand on in the moment that ultimately produced life that we can learn from this morning. So Psalm, 70, excuse me, Psalm 73, a psalm of Asap, starting in verse 1, says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my foot... My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to, to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Stop. Stop. Verse 16. So we see this. Asaph's coming along, and this is about, this is about ten years before Solomon comes to reign. We, we don't know what's going on in his life exactly, okay? Some theologians, uh, and there's, there's um, some precedent behind this you could get behind. I don't know for sure, so I'm not going to give it to you as, as God truth. But some theologians say that his, his mother has just been murdered. That she was murdered by someone, obviously rich and wealthy, who has got away with the murder. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that would be a pretty difficult moment, right? You can definitely see his tension. But whatever's going on in his life, there's some great tension that, that even where he is, having, having reached this lofty platform as the chief of all priests, right? And, and, the, and this song creator for David, he's looking going, oh, there's tension inside of me. I look at what the wealthy have and I look at the ease of their life and I can't deny that I wish that I was that person. There's just this tension going like back and forth, waffling every day. And he says there in verse 2, he says, he said, my feet had almost slipped. His feet had almost slipped. He'd almost given himself over to the bitterness 
of just this, oh, I can't believe this. Just the bitterness and the rage and the anger and the frustration, the anxiety and the worry. It almost completely overtook him as he watches the guilty not get what they deserve. He watches his, he gets nothing, quote unquote, for having kept his heart pure. He is torn, and in verse 14, he says that he has literally been plagued by his thoughts all day. All day long he's been plagued, and they hit him again every morning when he wakes up. Have you ever had that tension, that anxiety that literally it's going on, and like you fall asleep just to hoping to get away from it, and when you wake up in the morning, it just immediately slaps you in the face. And this is what he's naming. He's like, this is right in my face all day long. It's overwhelming me. There's great tension. There's all this stuff. And he says in, he says in, verse, uh, he says in verse 16, he says, all this is overwhelming. He says, he says, when I tried to understand all this, he says, it was oppressive to me. When I tried to get clarity, when I tried to get my hands around it, when I tried to get my head around all this stuff, it was oppressive to me. Oppression simply means unjustly inflicting hardship and constraint. I'm literally, I'm weighing you down, and I'm wrapping you in chains, and I'm holding you down, and it causes discomfort, and for many of us it causes depression. And ASAP is in the moment. He's having this transition moment, this, this difficult moment. He's in that place. He's overwhelmed by it. It's completely inundating every facet of his entire life. It's all of this, oh, it was this weighing me down to the point where I was constrained by it. It weighed me down. It beat me up. It wrapped me up. And it sat on top of me and tried to suffocate the life out of me all day and all night. It's oppressive to me. He says down here in verse 21 through 22, and I love this picture. He describes himself as being grieved, as being embittered, as being senseless, as being ignorant, and as being a brute beast. Have you had those moments? It's like, you know, that brute that brute beast moment just like it just comes out of you, right? Just can't get control. And he says, place in my feet, it almost slipped. I'd almost given myself over to all of this. It was overwhelming to me until verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Verse 18. Surely. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far away from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord, the all-powerful Lord, my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is beautiful here. Asaph's overwhelmed in the moment. And he says, until. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes from this. Listen to these words. Close your eyes. That's all it says this. 
All of this was oppressive to me. Life weighed me down. It was overwhelming me until, until, I, until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. It weighed me down. Life overwhelmed me until I entered the presence of the Lord. You see, when we think about the presence of the Lord here for him, we, the, coming into the sanctuary, we think of sanctuary as being church, right? The sanctuary, this is a sanctuary. The sanctuary represented the, pre, the place where God's presence dwelt. And for him, obviously, it was the, the tent of meeting in this moment. It was the place where they would you know, pick up tents, and they would go, and they'd sit there, and they would put their tent back up, and they would have the place where God's spirit dwelt, and the place where they do sacrifices and all this kind of stuff, right? And so he comes, and he's, he's walking, he says, all oh, this was oppressive, it weighed me down till... I took my eyes off of the situation at hand. And I took my eyes off of the, all of these things that I've already named that weighed me down. I took my eyes off of those things and I came into the sanctuary and I gave myself to the presence of God. He's talking about sanctuary. He's talking about a people who live in the presence of God. He's talking about himself coming into the presence, the living presence of God. Because what happens is this. He trades all of his thoughts for the thoughts of God. That's why he names. He says, here's what I learned in the moment. He goes down through like verse 16 all the way through 20. He says, hey, when I came into the presence of God, I was at this place. But when I came in and I gave myself to his presence, this is what I got in place of it. These are all the things that I learned. Here are all these things that I picked up about God, about who he is, and about who I am that are helping me through this transition moment. I'm overwhelmed. I'm oppressed. But guess what? Not anymore. Why? Because the reality here is when you come into the presence of God for ASAP, it was sobering. He had been drunk over here with life to the point he had literally almost slipped and he came over here in immediate sobriety what happened all of a sudden he recognized it woke him up from the stupor that he was living in it was healing it was therapeutic right it brought everything into perspective and asaph in a moment he had clarity and the message of ASAP for us is clear. Our transitions in life, these difficult moments, they can be crippling and overwhelming to the point that our feet can slip until we become a people of his sanctuary, a people of his presence, a people who do this oh, to oh, therapy, therapeutic, healing. The idea of God's presence is that whenever we come into it, it should always produce healing in our lives. And he's saying, this is what happens. You come into his presence. So, so what happened is this. So later in life, I believe that, that Asaph on the front row of watching Solomon destroy everything, I believe he struggled in the moment. He struggled to transition. He didn't enjoy it. But because he was a, he was a, a man who had cultivated this presence of God in his sanctuary, he was able to find life in the midst of death, hope and hopelessness. He came out and said, although this is overwhelming to me in my flesh, because of God, I'm okay and I have life. Let's look at the five things we see here from the life of Asaph in this story pre-Solomon that he grabs hold of that I believe defines his life and why he survived during the time of Solomon. Number one, he learned that God is just. God is just. 
Justice always fights against injustice. Okay? Right always fights against wrong. How many of you know God is always right? He is just. And so verse 18 says, He puts their feet, the bad guys, He puts their feet on slippery ground. Meaning this, Asap came in and goes, Oh my gosh, all the bad guys, their life's great. He walks in and goes, Oh, never mind. You are a just God who fights against injustice. You fight injustice by fighting for your people who are experiencing injustice. And so God, it's not my job to judge them. It is my job to let you be God and judge them when the time is right. Why? Because God always wants repentance first. He wants to give them a season of repentance. And so he says, so God, I will let you do your thing. You are just. You will bring about justice. God fights for us. He, he realizes that God's power is all-powerful. That he is, like we said earlier, sovereign in the moment. Which simply means he is over all. And so he has this revelation that in his transition moment, all of us need to have the same revelation. Oh my gosh, God, you are just. You are good. You do fight for us. Your timing isn't my timing, but your timing is your timing, and your timing is always right. God, help me in that season. second thing we see is God holds our hand. Verse 23 specifically says, He holds us by our right hand. Pretty much... There's nothing yet to like try to get behind the real meaning of that. This literally means he comes and he takes hold of us. You understand the language? Any of you who's ever been a kid or have kids? Maybe all of you. If I'm walking across the street, that's dangerous, and I've got Anna, Catherine, and Sarah. What do I do? I grab them by their right hand or by the, grab by their hand on one on each side. What do I do? I hold on tight because if they run ahead of me, they get hit by a car. They get behind me, they get hit by, they run behind me, get hit by a car. But they got, they're by my side, and I'm like this the whole time. And I look at them and say, you better not let go of my hand. Because I'll get the other hand or foot if i got both your hands and I'll hit you in the bottom, right? Because you're going to be with me. Because we're walking across this together, the street together, right? God holds us by our right hand. What does that mean? He says when you're in your transition moment, so the point we feel like your feet are going to slip, when you can't live another day, my hand is holding your hand and I have you. The reality, and hear me on this very clearly, Asap had no idea that God was near him. God had no idea that God had him by his right hand. That's why it was revelation in the moment. He holds us by our right hand. He probably knew theologically, but personally, he's like, he had a revelation moment. He comes in the presence of God and goes, oh, you have me by my right hand. These are all revelation issues. Things he didn't know fully, but when he came into the presence of God, he now knew fully. There was a, an awakening in his own heart, a revelation. He probably knew, I could tell you right now, yeah, God has, my right, has me by the right hand. Every single one of you in your transition moment, you know that God's with you, but you don't see him, do you? It's funny, when things start to go really bad in our lives, it's like we can't find God. And I had this personal theory. I said 9 o'clock service. This is my own personal theory. You can figure it out for yourselves if I'm right. This is not like a God-given, I can like get behind it with theology. I have something to tell you. I believe what happens a lot of times for us in difficult situations is that God gets so close you can't find him. 
It's like a paradox, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. I remember my mom died. I remember I sat there, and I'm like, oh, I just felt so alone. Like, God, what's going on? Uh, God, where are you? And I heard this voice from somewhere I'd never heard it before. It was like deep in the core of my being say, I'm still here. To the point I just, I went, I just, I just shrunk back, and I was like, oh, my. I actually said, oh, crap. That's what I said. Sorry. Just being honest with you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because he was so near in a place I'd never heard him before that it, it was like this, here I am, right? This whole thing. Like, oh, and it was, but I still wasn't like, oh, there, I, I didn't have any goosebump feelings. Right? I wasn't having like the, oh, it's so great, right? It, wasn't feel, it was like I just knew his presence. It didn't, like it, I was still in a difficult moment, but I knew he was with me. And I knew he had me. I knew he had me by the right hand. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. You have, you have me by my right hand. And our transition moment for Solomon is like, hey, no matter how far, how close we get to hell with Solomon, you've got me and Israel by the right hand because you are God. Third thing, God grants wisdom. So he comes in, he's overwhelmed. Oh, brute beast moment. Oh, oh God, if I just ask you for counsel according to here, it says, verse 24 says, you guide me with your counsel. This revelation is like, if I come in and ask for wisdom, you will grant it, because that's what you do. James 1, James tells us, he says the same thing. He tells us clearly, if anyone is lacking wisdom, they simply need to ask God, and he will give it generously. Okay. So Solomon, in this place, he learns in this moment, God, I was not asking wisdom over here. But when Solomon comes to power, he's, I mean, I'm sure every day is like, oh my gosh, God, give me wisdom, idiot. I mean, King Solomon over here is doing this again. Help us. Give us wisdom. What do I need to do as chief priest to make sure that we are staying true to you? This is my job to stay true to you. I'm not going to bow down and worship other gods. I'm here as the chief priest of the Ark of the Covenant. I represent one who cultivates and cares for the presence of God for Israel. God, give me wisdom. The fourth thing that we see is this. He comes to this place of revelation. Only God matters. A revelation that only God matters. Verse 25, 26 says this. Just, just read along on the screen. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen, remember this. Asap is at the pinnacle of his life. He's with the king and he's with God. And all of a sudden, he has this tension going on. And in that place of having reached this great place of success, he looks at it and says, Oh my gosh, God, I've now realized. I have a revelation. The only thing that matters in life, listen to this, are the things that are eternal. See, every human being needs to have a revelation moment where they recognize that things that are temporal should never be things that overwhelm us. Never things that define our life. Only the eternal. Because the eternals, well, guess what? They last for eternity. And we find ourselves every day wrestling with our job and relationships and we wrestle with wealth and money and all this stuff with school and all these things we're wrestling with and all of them are temporal. And he's saying, my gosh, I realize, God, that this whole thing with the wealthy and the rich and stuff, 
Your judge will take care of it. All I need to do is recognize that, that, that you are my portion. That you're, you're what I get. And you're enough. And because you're eternal, then all I need to do is give my life to the eternal every day. So when life goes to hell, as long as my life is connected to eternity, to God as my source, then I'm great. And he says this. He looks at it. He says, he says even with my flesh in my heart, even if they fail because I'm so oppressed, I realize that God, actually those things aren't my strength. You're my strength. You're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I will succeed. I will make it. Things will be fine. This is his heart. This is where he is. And it's God's heart for us. Hey, the things that are temporal, you've heard the old saying, you can't take a U-Haul to heaven with you, right? Lots of songs, probably songs about it, right? Can't take a U-Haul to heaven with you. I just made that up, right? But you got songs going on, right? Get this whole song thing going on. Because it's true. The things that are temporal are temporary and they die off. The things that are eternal, things we give ourselves to and they define our lives. We're not overwhelmed, right? Because they're temporary. Who cares that the kingdom goes to hell? I've got the kingdom of God. And we have to live in this place, which leads to the fifth thing, which is this. Verse 28, then God is my refuge. Verse 28 very clearly says that God is our refuge. He is the one that we run to. He is our sanctuary, the place that we go. Asaph, in the midst of the death of a dream, the death, in the midst of his difficulty, he's buoyed. He's supported by the reality that as long as he has God, he's good to go. As long as he can enter his sanctuary and be with him, he's good. And so the lesson that we learn today, just all succinct in form, brought down to a couple of words, is simply this. Our transitions lead us, our difficulties, our oppressive life, all this stuff, it leads to two places, a place of oppression or the presence of God. One leads to death, the other leads to life. Asap came into the moment he chose wisely just before his feet slipped, and it saved his life, and he walked in that place forever. I'm sure he had his mess-ups while he was human, right? But ultimately, he always came back to the sanctuary of God. And here's, what I wanna, here's where we land this morning for us as a people. We have to be people. We have to be people who are able to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord. In the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our overwhelming transitions of life, these places that completely weigh us down, the things we say, all of this is oppressive to me. Oh, brute beast, Right? Until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord and I saw the presence of God. I couldn't look on him face to face as I'd die, but I knew his presence. I got clear to him. I got near to him and I just knew he was speaking into me these things. And they changed me. Hey, this was terrible. This happened over here. But God's my portion. He sustains me. I'm with him. And that defines how I then live life. See, it was by God's grace, this free gift, this thing that God did, that he allowed, he allowed Asap to walk through this difficult time ten years prior to hell breaking loose. Because this taught him how to then live through every difficult moment of life. And God does the same in us. 
He's taking us to teach us, to get us to this place of a foundation so we run into his sanctuary and become a people of his presence. You have a choice. It's simple. Death or life. His presence or not his presence. Oppression or his nearness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in us as a people. We praise you, God, for the difficulties that we're going through. God, I praise you that this this has been the hardest uh, month and a half of my ministry career. God, I praise you for that. I praise you for the things you're teaching me in the moment. God, I praise you for the way that you are challenging and changing and shaping us as a people. God, I praise you, Lord, for your sanctuary, and I praise you for your presence. I praise you that you sustain us and that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. And, Father, this morning I want to pray, God, those who come in ignorance this morning to your presence, who come in never having engaged it, God, never having known it, never having engaged that in such a way that it produces life in them. Lord, I I simply pray this morning that you would surprise us, that you would open us, God, that you would overwhelm us, Lord. Open our eyes to see you, Jesus. For those who are walking in this place of transition who are oppressed to the point of death, Lord, I pray that you would give them a footing this morning so they would not slip and be able to find the intimate place of your presence that's sobering, that's therapeutic, and that's healing, God. Come, Jesus. Lord, we long for more of you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.